Well, it is uh, good to be back with you again today, and having made comments last week, I should maybe underline the fact I'm delighted to be here. It's not uh, pressure, um, it's a real joy and delight, and what is added to that is that for the first time for many, many years, I have been given an Easter egg. I don't need to be bribed that way, but it helps, and uh, so I shall be a good boy, boys and girls. I'll not eat my Easter egg all in one go. I'll spread it out over the whole journey from here to home. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that'll be my Easter eggs for the day. But it is good to be back with you today and uh, to share in that strange mixture There's both profound sadness at what Jesus had to go through because of my sin and yours. And yet that utter sense of delight, joy, victory, and freedom uh, that comes through the Easter message. John Mark McMillan is an American songwriter, probably not known uh, to many of you here uh, this morning, who writes um, very thought-provoking lyrics. You not always agree with them, but they make you think. And a few years ago, he wrote an Easter song entitled, Death in His Grave. And the kind of metaphor was that Christ had conquered death and left it in the grave. And the kind of chorus of that song goes, on Friday, a thief, on Sunday, a king, laid down in grief, but awoke with keys of hell on that day. And the metaphor is that on Friday, Christ is hanging between two thieves on the cross, treated like a criminal. But on Sunday, he rises gloriously victorious as a king. And in doing that, he follows a pattern that uh, you see in many Easter songs, old ones and new ones. The idea that Friday was a day of dark, despair and sadness, but Sunday's coming, and Sunday's a day of joy, victory, and triumph. I'm not sure that's entirely right. And I want you to listen to me as I read from Scripture, the passage I've chosen, just two verses in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Hebrews 2 verses 14 and 15, and I've chosen one of the more modern versions just to help us, especially the boys and girls, capture what is being said about Christ's death on the cross. Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15, read this way. Since we, God's children, are human beings made of flesh and blood, he became flesh and blood too, by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die and in dying break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in that way could he deliver those who through fear of death had been living all their lives as slaves to constant 
bread. And our theme this morning is victory in the cross. Because that note of victorious triumph over death and over the devil and over sin and over guilt and shame is wound both into the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. By his death, he destroys him who had the power of death, that is the devil. It is Easter Sunday morning and the kiddies are with us, which is brilliant, really delighted about that. And young people who are still probably wondering, should they be here or shouldn't they? But uh, I've chosen four little headings as four simple thoughts to take us through from the uh, defeat of Satan that was necessary to the defeat of, of Satan, which is being proclaimed at Easter. So first of all, a defeat that is promised. It's actually a major part of understanding the Old Testament. And if you are a student and you struggle sometimes to think, well, what on earth is this all about in the Old Testament? Here's a simple way of understanding it. Satan's impact on the whole of the world is written on every page of the Old Testament. Satan spoiled the brilliant creation that God had brought into being and pronounced to be good. Satan disrupted the fellowship, the relationship between God and Adam and Eve and between God and all human beings ever since. So instead of loving God and worshiping God and understanding God and being in tune with God, we find ourselves puzzled and uncertain. Satan brought the war that was being fought in the heavenly realms to infect planet Earth. And so not one of us here today hasn't suffered from some of the outflow of Satan's attack. We feel it spiritually. If you've ever been in a place, and I guarantee every one of you has, where you find it difficult to believe in God, where you find it a real struggle to trust God and accept what he says, when God seems distant and remote from us, it all points back to that moment when the devil put a seed of doubt in the minds of Adam and Eve. Has God really said that? Does God really mean that? As if you ever wondered where do all those doubts and uncertainties and fears and anxieties come spiritually, you trace them back to Satan's impact upon our forefathers, Adam and Eve. You've experienced it physically and mentally. We often sing uh, age and decay in all around I see, and I have to kind of not look at Derek Baxter when I'm saying that in case he thinks I'm getting at him, but age and decay in all around we see is a reality of life. All of our inadequacy, all of our weakness, all of our failure, all of our illness, all of our sorrow, all of our grief, all traces back that disruption that Satan brought into this world. And what the Old Testament does 
It provides us a visual aid illustrating that corruption of human nature which Satan has achieved from square one. But at the same time, the whole Old Testament story is of God preparing the human race for reconciliation to himself. God demonstrating his power over Satan and all his works. The promise of Satan's defeat is written on every page of the Old Testament. God would ensure that Satan's head would be crushed. God would ensure that human sin and shame would be atoned for. God would ensure that the coming of the Messiah would be the coming of one more powerful than the devil who would end his tyrannical rule on the earth. And so we think of that defeat promised that runs through all of the Old Testament, building up to what we celebrate at Easter time, the defeat that has been promised. But second is a defeat that has been pictured. If the whole Old Testament points to the promise, then the whole of the Gospels and that road that Jesus took to the cross at Jerusalem is a little series of glimpses of the defeat that was coming Satan's way. He couldn't escape it. The divine agenda is brilliantly clear. Jesus begins his ministry by that temptation in the wilderness. You can almost sense the excitement of Satan as he confronts Jesus and with one temptation after the other begins to be convinced, I can beat Jesus. I can be the conqueror. I can have the victory. And yet time after time in each of those moments in the wilderness, Satan has to walk away empty-handed, defeated, helpless, in the presence of the glorious incarnate Jesus Christ. A little glimpse of the defeat that would be accomplished upon the cross at Easter time. We see it when Jesus encounters the demons and the devils. Book of often said, why is it so often in the Gospels we read of uh, people who are demon-possessed or devil-possessed uh, coming to Jesus? Well, I think part of it is here's a glimpse of how the final victory over Satan is going to be accomplished. No matter how badly someone was affected by the demons and the devils, Jesus could have the victory. He was in charge. He had the authority. We see it when Jesus tackles the outworkings in terms of physical sickness or mental torment or demonic possession or even the death that people have gone through. They bring them to Jesus. And Jesus heals. He's not just, although he is gloriously helping those people. He's also giving us a picture of his brilliant power and authority over all of Satan's work. We see it in the way that Jesus 
restores folk spiritually. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He's got religion by the bucketful. But he doesn't love God with all his heart and mind and soul and strength and his neighbor as himself. But during that conversation with Jesus, he begins to understand, I need to be born again. And then I can have a relationship with God. And then I can spend my eternity with him. I don't know if you have been following through that whole journey of Jesus to Jerusalem and tracing it in the other gospels. It's quite interesting how Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, give us one single miracle, focus on one single miracle before Jesus comes into Jerusalem and the cross. It's a miracle of the man who is blind. And Christ comes and hears his cry. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus reaches out and heals him. But each of the gospel writers then add that little extra dimension. Not only can the man see physically, but as Luke records, the man follows Jesus and worships God. He's been spiritually transformed. The eyes of his spiritual understanding have been opened. And now he's been transformed spiritually. Every act of Jesus in that three-year period was then both an act of his great compassion and love, but also a bold statement about the coming defeat that he would bring into Satan's life and kingdom. So the defeat that was promised, a defeat that was pictured, and I've kept the peas all the way through, a defeat that was produced. Very often when we look at the cross, as we did at the beginning of our service this morning, and in many of the songs we rightly sing, we get a focus that what Jesus was doing was for me and my sin. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord of my soul. There's that sense Christ was there dealing with my guilt, dealing with my sin, taking all my burden upon himself and paying my ransom price, and he was. My, because the sinless Savior died, my guilty soul is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. My punishment has been dealt with. My ransom price has been paid. My redemption has been accomplished. And my re reconciliation to God has been achieved. I do hope and pray that every one of us who loves Christ has during this weekend tasted and seen again that the Lord is good, felt afresh that calm of sins forgiven, gloried in the fact that Christ has for sin atonement made. What a wonderful Savior. I do trust that those who've never 
come to faith in Christ, who, who still go around every day with their guilt and the shame and the burden and the condemnation that belongs to us as sinful human beings, would find peace through the cross of Jesus Christ this Easter time. He's bled and died. He's given his life as a ransom so you and I might find that forgiveness and joy of deliverance in him. But Christ's great cry, when he cries, it is finished, is not just about having purchased our redemption as sinners and taken our place in guilt and shame. But rather, our text reminds us, on the cross by his death, Jesus destroyed him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. The devil was unable to stop Jesus traveling that road to Jerusalem. Jesus was to say, I have power to lay down my life, and I have power to take it up again. And the devil was powerless to do anything about it. That's the glory of the cross. That's the victory of the cross. That Jesus takes that long-standing spiritual battle in the heavenly places between God and Satan, and he takes that battle to the cross, and he defeats Satan on the cross by his death. And that's how the Christian knows a measure of freedom from Satan's impact. And it's how we as Christians can face death itself without profound fear. We still fear the process of dying. We still experience the grief when someone's taken from us. Some of you have experienced that in very recent days. But for the Christian, death's real sting has been dealt with by the victory of the cross as Jesus conquered him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and provided us that assurance, that guarantee of life eternal in himself. The defeat of Satan was a defeat promised. It was a defeat pictured through the uh, experiences of Jesus in his ministry is a defeat produced by Christ's death on the cross as he gave his life as a ransom for us. And final thought for this morning is a defeat proclaimed. I think we have a slide if I've got my PowerPoints correct today that shows the uh, way in which the defeat of the Axis forces in 1918 was proclaimed. Um, again, I was going to suggest that uh, there are those who maybe remember it, but that'd be very rude to suggest that and untrue. Uh, so I just brought the picture of the Evening Standard that proclaimed to the nation this morning at 11 o'clock on the 11th day of the 11th month, an armistice was signed between the Allied forces in Germany the war is over. 
The war is over. The resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday morning is like the divine proclamation that the war is over, that the enemy has been defeated, that God's triumph is final. It is finished. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says of the resurrection of Jesus, he was shown to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Resurrection is about God proving, God proclaiming, God declaring that Jesus has won the victory. God's declaration to his enemies is in the plain language of the resurrection morning. An empty tomb is there to prove my Savior lives. On the 11th of November 1918, uh, in Germany, East Africa, this particular man up front, uh, General Paul von Leto Vorbeck, uh, was the person who had been guiding the German forces in East Africa since the start of the war. On the 11th day of the 11th month of 1918, he received a message saying, Clause 17 of the armistice signed by the German government provides for the unconditional surrender of all German forces operating in East Africa. You'll not be able to read it, but that's what it says up on the screen. He read it, and he decided, that's not for real. My Kaiser wouldn't be defeated. My Germany wouldn't surrender. This is just a clever bluff by the Allied forces in East Africa. And so he continued his campaign uh, against the local Allied forces for a whole week more. He didn't want to surrender to those who'd actually won the war already. Today we celebrate Christ's victory over Satan. It's a victory which calls for unconditional surrender from all of Christ's enemies. It's a day you're not converted, you still belong to Satan's kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. You still belong to his tyrannical rule. You still uphold his principles and activities. And the call of Easter is, come on, the battle's won. Christ is victorious. Isn't it time you surrendered to him? Isn't it time for you to say, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee? Today we call those who've never surrendered to Jesus to mark this day 
not just with family get-togethers, though they're great, to mark this day not just with Easter eggs, no matter how many you have and how much you're looking forward to having them, but to mark this day by a conscious and deliberate surrender to Jesus who has conquered Satan and calls us to yield our lives to him. Of those of us who are Christians, well, I guess that Easter is a time for saying, Lord, I'm back here again. I messed up during this year. I failed in certain ways, but you are the conqueror. You are the victor. And today I bring back this life and surrender to your lordship once more. A victory proclaimed. I trust proclaimed not just in the pages of scripture and the historical nature of the resurrection, but proclaimed in our hearts and proclaimed by our lives. A moment of prayer, and then we're going to sing again. Lord, it is hard for sometimes to grasp the massive significance of all that took place on that Friday at Golgotha and on that Sunday in an empty tomb. We thank you for every device you give to us that helps us to have those truths implanted in our minds, to understand their significance and then to respond from heart and mind and soul. As Lord, in these quiet moments, we simply surrender afresh to you. All we are, all we have, all we dream of, all we long for. And we surrender them to the one who has won the victory and gained the triumph. Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.